Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, the Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we watch remakes, reboots, and sequels, and ask the very simple question, who did it best? I'm CP. This is my co-host, D-Man, who I actually hate right now. Uh, D-Man, why do I hate you? <laughs> wow, that was uh, quite the intro right there. I actually, uh, I'm a little cold over here. It's freezing in LA. And uh, I had to throw on my sweatshirt and my Santa hat because, well, it's just, it's that time of year. And <laughs> I made sure to piss you off insanely oh, that is by <laughs> watching one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies and its brand new remake, Home Alone. Oh. So the new movie is actually called uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. And I'm not sure why that is and not just you know, Home Alone, the reboot, because <laughs> we're going to get into it, but it really does just kind of borrow some of the plot points straight from the original. But I have to admit, it did pleasure me greatly that you had to sit through the new one. So you're welcome. <laughs> oh, dude. And I made a big point audience of telling him that I will never watch the reboot remake of home alone and what does this guy do he's like hey i think on the podcast we should compare the two so thank you how could we really i mean we literally have a show dedicated to this there's a brand new movie out a remake of an original classic that did not need to be remade at all and they did it anyway i think uh this is just disney flexing their newfound power by having purchased no this is just disney trying to ruin my life hey check it out i got some hot chocolate for this episode (laughs) It's delicious. So getting back to the topic at hand. Home Alone, you've probably seen it. 1990, the John Hughes written and produced classic directed by Christopher Columbus. It's amazing. It may be one of the most popular live action comedies of all time, as well as one of the most popular Christmas movies of all time. Oh, absolutely. The reboot came out this year. I don't really know or care who wrote and directed it, and you shouldn't either because you shouldn't watch the movie is the point I'm going to make through this episode. Fair enough. (laughs) Let's get into it, D-Man. I'm really excited. So first of all, I did want to ask you, because having forced you to watch this, Now, was there any sort of redeeming qualities of it being a remake that you think actually warranted this happening? Or, you know, was everything just, you know, a fire barrel? If you're going to remake a movie, it needs to be because society's in a different place. So we need a more modern version of something, which is not the case with Home Alone. The original is almost a perfect movie. I don't know why we needed to adapt it to kids now. The other thing is if you are going to do a remake, differentiate it enough from the original that it stands on its own as a film, this one is essentially the original Home Alone, just- With like a few changed plot points. Yeah, it's a fucking British kid. Oh, big difference. Yeah, but I mean, it's so weird, though, because I think the number one difference that we see between these movies, and you and I talked about this, was right away in this movie, they set up the burglars as sympathetic, right? They're not Marvin Harry. They're not the wet bandits. You know, if you think about Marvin Harry, the way they're portrayed, you know, impersonating police officers, you know, joking around about robbing people. They are robbing people. They tend not to have houses after they rob them. Yeah. Even of which Harry's like, why would you do that? You know, but like, they're not, we don't have a lot of sympathy for those characters to see them succeed. Even later in the film, after Kevin's already kind of inflicted some punishment on them, they're saying things like, you know, I'm going to kill that kid. Or when I catch you, I'm going to rip off your 
your cojones and boil them in motor oil. You're like, <laughs> they're not sympathetic. So in a way, even though the violence in the action sequence at the end is somewhat Looney Tunish or cartoonish, it's a little over the top. Obviously, we're meant to laugh here and not feel bad for these guys for getting their head burned or yeah. stepping on a nail, whatever yeah. it is. In the new one, the robbers are going to lose their house. They're in pursuit of this doll that they originally had, and they believe that the Kevin McAllister character of the new one has stolen. So they're actually only breaking in to his house to retrieve what they believe is their stolen property. Now, granted, that doesn't make it okay. Just ask OJ Simpson. But <laughs> I'm just saying it at least gives us more sympathy towards the burglars so that when the violence is inflicted, it almost feels like we're rooting for them in a strange twist. And I'm assuming it's intentional. It has to be. But I don't know that it really works. No, you're right. You know, we spend a lot of time with these two people as they're Wayne having to tell their kids that they're going to lose their house and how they've gone through all these other options of trying to find out how to get the money. We and spend so, a lot I don't of know if time I invested the doll, in these characters. Yeah, the doll that they're trying to retrieve apparently is worth a lot of money whatever, uh, probably the exact amount they need <laughs> based on the rest of the writing here. For one, I, I think it, it robs you of the fun of the end of the film, which is we get to see Kevin defend his house from these assholes that are trying to steal from him. They make it very clear at the beginning of the first Home Alone. There's that line where he says, you know, ever since I saw that house, I wanted it. And he talks about all the, all the riches that he thinks are hiding in there. In this one, you can't help but sympathize with the villains, quote unquote, more than our hero himself, which I think is a, a fundamental failure. The other thing I hate about this movie, well, actually, there's a lot of things I hate about this movie, but the next thing I want to talk about is the fact that Chris Columbus was very intentional, and we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. in making Home Alone feel like Christmas. Every scene, when you watch the McAllister's house, there's red, there's green, there's gold, there's Christmas decorations everywhere. There's right. wrapping paper, right? Kevin does fundamentally Christmas things, right? He chops down his little tree and he decorates it. You know, he goes to church, he hides out in the nativity scene, goes to see Santa, he runs across an ice rink. All the things yes. that we associate with Christmas, Kevin's a part of in his experience of staying home alone. That is not the case in this film. In, it's, in fact, I think the most jarring thing for me is the color palette of the film. Mm -hmm. Chris okay. Columbus produces the original in this very kind of rich and warm, and it feels like you're at home by a fire. Mm -hmm. And that's intentional. Sure. And this right. one, it's much more modern. It has lots of blues and whites, and there's more contrast. It doesn't have the bright color that I think we expect and we want in a warm, traditional holiday movie we're going to watch every year. Yeah, and we, we like you said, we've kind of mentioned this before, but the not only was the color palette intentional, but a lot of those things were done to add a sort of timeless quality to Home Alone, which also lends it, the concept of that lends itself to negating the need for a reboot ever. It's supposed to be, you could watch it today in 2021, you could watch it in 10 years in 2031, or you could have seen it when we were little kids, you know, 1990 when it released. And it's supposed to feel like a like a Christmas classic, even though there are elements of the movie that won't necessarily work plot wise, meaning like, of course, now with technology, you know, you'd probably be able to check in with Kevin with some screen you have around your house or, you know, be able to call him on a cell phone or something. Overall, I think the movie tries hard to make sure it feels like you're a kid, you have this kind of wondrous 
moment in your life. What kid, you know, that's kind of like a wishful thing, right? Like I want to have the whole house to myself, especially if you have a bunch of brothers and sisters, just like Kevin does. And I think there's something else I wanted to acknowledge with the original that it does story-wise. And sometimes this gets kind of taken for granted. And especially considering the second one lost in New York doesn't really have this mechanism, but that is Kevin wishes for his family to disappear. And so he actually A, feels responsible for his predicament, but B, believes that they have disappeared, that they didn't just leave. Remember, he runs out to the garage and he's like, the cars cars are still here. They didn't go to the airport. He believes that his family is truly gone and he's alone. Not that they left for vacation and he's just got to wait it out, right? He goes to Santa later and he says, oh, you know, all I want is my family back. And Santa's kind of like, what? There's a whimsical element to that, the imagination of a kid that I think is also kind of lost in the new one, where just kind of at home alone. Kevin is physically in that house by himself, but he also believes himself to now be alone. I think that works really well. Well, and I think the other part of that is, right, his belief in the magic of Christmas and his belief in Santa, you know, he believes that on Christmas Day, they're going to return. And they do. Mm -hmm. That is an element that's totally lost from the new. In fact, I think he even says like, oh, they don't even know I'm here. It's a little British piece of shit. (laughs) Um, That kid is funny, though. I don't have a problem. I actually love that kid in the kid who would be king and Jojo Rabbit. So I'm just I'm just really pissed about this movie and I wish it was never made. Well, here's the thing I think actually works in the new one. I, I did enjoy some of the jokes. I thought it was cool. They brought back uh, Buzz, the actor, to play the cop. There okay. were there were some oh, g- no, gags. No, 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 no. What jokes? I I watched this movie and I laughed one time, and it was like, a <laughs> yeah, it was mostly like that. I mean, just some of the gags, some of the British accent stuff. Obviously, they play some of the Home Alone theme music. They actually riffed on John Williams, which is wild. Yeah, you gotta have, you gotta be brave to do that. Well, think about like that one element of Home Alone and John Williams' score. Right. Yeah. Even that is classic. Like if you, you know, so yeah, right. I kind of go to, you know, Christmas radio on Pandora or Spotify, or, you know, you, you might hear, uh, you know, a symphony playing Christmas classics. A lot of times they play somewhere in my memory. It's very whimsical. You can hum it. It honestly, it feels like Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't know how John Williams does it, but it was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is a remake, you know, or a reboot, I guess, but it's still like, it doesn't introduce anything new per se. That's just now a nostalgic score that they're riffing on from the original. You know what I mean? And then I, I wanted to bring this up because I don't know if anybody else has had the chance to do it, but they actually have a show on Netflix called The Movies That Made Us. And I think Home Alone's in the season one of that show. And you, they actually did get some major players from Home Alone to speak on interviews which I understand is it's tough. Like they don't get Macaulay Culkin, mm-hmm. you know, and they're actually really talking more about how the movie was made rather than like Macaulay Culkin's, you know, fame surrounding the film or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But it is another, you know, interesting movie in a long list of John Hughes movies that takes place in Chicago, you know, another Midwest movie by him. Some of the filmmaking techniques that went into this movie were you know really incredible like I didn't know this but like they literally built like a replica of the McAllister house at a high school pool that they drained <laughs> and then they also used that same said pool to do the flooded basement scene which I thought that was really neat I was like I don't know yeah. <laughs> 
you know, the McAllister house itself is kind of iconic these days. You know, if you see it, you recognize it. And that's hard to do. Yeah, that's true. That house is so famous looking that literally you can see it in a photo and you're like, oh my God, is that the McAllister house? Yeah, right. It's amazing. And I don't know how, you know, I have to give such credit here to Christopher Columbus for the way that he's able to use the camera to make this movie feel, how do I say it? Not cheap. Mm-hmm. It feels really well done, really polished mm-hmm. to me. And I know Chris, Chris Columbus, he's, uh, I think actually for these movies, but he's actually kind of famous now as a director who has had success working with kids, which is why I think he got like the Harry Potter gig, which also enhanced that reputation. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I, I really have, I, I, there's something he did. It feels so cinematic for, for such a simple story. It's just taking place in a kitchen. He's home alone. And yet somehow it's almost always interesting. It's almost always fun to watch. I can't really put my finger on it. I'm not 100% sure how he did that. Maybe you can. No, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. I, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why people love this movie so much. A lot of the shortcoming in the new one is doesn't feel like we expect a Home Alone to movie to And I mean, in, in defense of the crew and, you know, and the production team doing this, like the same thing happens I mean, even Home Alone 2 doesn't quite feel like Home Alone 1, but especially when we go to Home Alone 3, right? Which is, again, a John Hughes written film, right? Like the quality changes, it doesn't feel the same. And a lot of that is, I think you're right. Columbus was very clear with what he was trying to do. He really captured that timelessness and and no one else has been able to remake it. Yeah, like I would bet you an endless amount of money that like every... Hallmark or Lifetime Christmas movie would love this intangible quality that we're talking about. Yeah. But they don't have it. They just don't have it. I don't know if that's just simply due to money and what they were able to bring to the table in terms of production value, but whatever it is, they knocked it out of the park. Trust me, go watch a Hallmark movie, go watch some of those, you know, one-off films or go check out Home Sweet Home Alone and you will no, notice <laughs> you will notice that they just don't have this really cinematic feel to them that Home Alone has. That's awesome. I, if I knew the secret to that, oh man, I would be trying to get on productions. So I want to <laughs> ask you something. Something in my mind that, that I noticed about this film that made it feel very strange to me. And I don't know, and I, my question is this, and I'm getting to it, I promise audience. I don't know if this is just our own kind of Chicago bias as our mm-hmm. love for the city or not. Considering that this is still supposed to take place in the Chicago area, in Winnetka, again, Mm -hmm. it does not feel like it to me where the first one shot on location feels like that part of Chicago to me. Yeah, there's a couple scenes where Kevin kind of ventures out a little bit and they all do feel very much like Chicago. Now, I can speak from straight up experience. My grandparents used to live in a suburb of Chicago, Lincoln Park and Madison. We've been to many areas over there. There's a few shots in Home Alone, the original, that I've seen firsthand. I mean, that's exactly how it is and it should be that way because they filmed it there. So there's one where Kevin's like crossing a railroad track. The tr- on the bridge, yeah. Yeah, that's very much a suburb of Chicago. That's how it looks. That's how it feels. When he goes up to the church there's churches like that they're right there the one that i mean i can't speak to it specifically like when he goes to visit santa at the village the street itself does feel very suburb you know chicago suburb but i don't recall ever having like an outdoor christmas village like that yeah when he goes to like the the ice rink depending on where you're at 
you could see something like that as well. Obviously, some of this was filmed at O'Hare International Airport. That's where I fly into. Yeah, it feels very much like suburbs of Chicago. Now, granted, my grandparents didn't live in a mansion. I don't know if our sub- the suburb I was at was that <laughs> nice, but uh, it did feel like that either way. Yeah. And often there is snow. Hopefully there is this year for all my friends back home. Hope you guys get a white Christmas. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I think another quality that we can definitely acknowledge from Home Alone 1, and you and I have talked about this when we talk about classics, Home Alone's quotability. Oh my gosh, yes. It's very quotable. You tend to find yourself almost saying the lines as they happen or quoting your favorite jokes. Buzz, when he's like, let me tell you for three reasons, A, (laughs) 2, and D. And you're like, what an idiot. I think, is it Little Nero's Pizza is yeah. a riff on Little Caesar's Pizza? But now there's a Little Nero. Is there? Okay. Yeah, I heard that they opened one. I mean, there's um, just things only the classics accomplish, and Home Alone has that. So, I mean, when we're comparing the two, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, I think the new one, it borrows plot points. It borrows music, borrows gags. It borrows, you know, it tries to borrow some of the sentimentality when the mom gets home at the end and they have the music hit, but nothing ever matches the original. I think the new one, they even have a joke in there where they say something along the lines of remakes and sequels or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How they're never as good as the original one. And while that may be true and the movie's being a little reflexive there and and kind of acknowledging that it is a remake, it, it still doesn't live up to the hype. And I think the problem is, is that when you do remakes, like you said, and then we've talked about this because we've gone over it many times with different movies. If all you're going to do is just hit the beats of what made the first one great, you're probably never going to get that that high. What you have to do is either introduce it for a new generation in a new way. Or you have to take it in some sort of different artistic direction, uh, a la Christopher Nolan's Joker versus Jack Nicholson's Joker. I remember when they cast him and everybody was like, no one can touch Jack's Joker. Well, he did a different version. You know, Heath Ledger knocked it out of the park as a different version of the Joker. And to that end, it works really well. And now everybody loves both. Something else I want to talk about. There's two key elements of the first from a story perspective, which are just ignored in the remake. And the first is one of my favorite characters, the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Oh yeah, okay. Character. Shout out to home, yeah. <laughs> Part of it is he's a great prism for the audience. Kevin is who we were as kids and the South Bend Shovel Slayer is who we are as adults. We've become jaded. We have beards. (laughs) You know, yeah. In many ways, Kevin is who we want to be. And the innocence of Kevin and his perspective as a child of seeing the the world for what it is changes his heart and convinces him to call his kids. And he Mm -hmm. reunites with his family on Christmas Day. That's really Hughes talking to us as he does in all his movies so well, using these kids to talk to us as adults, all these important things in life that we've forgotten. I guess what I consider the message in the film about family is in many ways forgotten in this one. Yeah. And on that same note, the character of the mother. In the original, we see how hard Kevin's mom works to get home to see her son. When we watch the movie, we're like, well, you're kind of a bad mom for not realizing that your kid was left home alone, but she is redeemable in the sense that we see how hard she works to get back. Yeah. I feel like in this version, we don't see that same attention and dedication. And yeah, like you're just going to get home. It, it just, it, it's not the same as when she's hitching a ride in the back of a budget truck. 
through dialogue, kind of acknowledge that point when she talks to John Candy in the back of the truck and she's like, I'm a horrible mother. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're not, you're not. And then he talks about, <laughs> again, it's relatable for a lot of people. He's like, this guy hasn't even seen his kid. Yeah. He's like, one time I left mine at a funeral parlor. Like, you know, kind of <laughs> being day. like, All listen. Day. And she does say, she's like, did you ever go on vacation and leave one of them home alone? And he's like, no, you know, no. Like that, it's, it wasn't good what you did. But we've all made mistakes. Hopefully it works out and everything's good. I do love John Candy. I heard he did all of his scenes in like a day or two. Yeah, and he made like nothing for it. He did. Yeah, it he li- I think it was a favor. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a favor. And he just came on for like a day or two. But I love his line. He's like, oh yeah, that was a really big hit for us. And she's like, oh, in Chicago? He's like, no, Sheboygan. Sheboygan. <laughs> we're very big in Sheboygan. But before, I mean, before we wrap up the episode, I mean, I think now we're just going to riff a little on the original Home Alone because we love this movie. <laughs> I still think one of my favorite lines, it's probably one of my favorite favorite lines in a movie because it's such a little kid thing to say when his mom's like get upstairs I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night and he's like I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life and I don't want (laughs) to see anybody else either I'm like that's such a little kid thing you know I don't want to see I mean imagine that your kid telling you that though (laughs) I mean you can't take it serious right I'd laugh so hard I love the part where he's like, when I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. I'm living alone. I'm like, oh, that's like, again, kid reasoning. I love it. It's great. Even I mean, the, will- the South Bend, the South Bend Shovel Slayer, like when they look, they look out the window. Like I relate to that personally. I think you might remember, you know, we come from a South Bend suburb called Granger. We had uh, someone called the Granger Walk. And he was kind of a similarly gruff old man who used to go for walks and kids would make up, you know, crazy things that he does. I remember, does. dude. I you know? remember. Yeah or not he was probably like a really nice old man but you know kids would be like oh yeah kind of like the south Bend shovel slayer they're like yeah you see, he walks up and down the block and <laughs> salts the sidewalks with the salt of his victims you're like what are you talking about he's like yeah he murdered his whole family and half the people on his block you're yeah. like that's not true and I don't know, those type of things, there's a whimsy to that, you know, a childlike wonder to that where you don't, could only really be a kid to believe it. Yeah, right. Or to say those things. Like most of us as, you know, adults, maybe some teenagers, but we're not going to tell our parents, I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life, especially like good parents, you know, like <laughs> they are. Yeah. So, you know, you'd have to be a kid. And I think they do a really good job of kind of conveying that, especially early, so that Kevin, when he does believe that his family has disappeared, we believe that he believes it. So instead of us still, you know, talking about how great Home Alone is, which by the way, we actually have an old episode way back where this is all we do to talk about how great Home Alone is for not long enough. So if that's your interest, go back in the way back and check it out. It's a total rewind episode. Shifting gears. Is there anything that you can find redeemable or that you did appreciate in the new film? Uh, yeah, I did like the somewhat sentimental ending where the burglars don't end up going to jail. They, uh, you know, end up kind of forging a bond with the kid and the family. Now, is that earned? It might be a little cheap at the end because they're just kind of like, oh, you're home alone, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I did like that they were able to sort of resolve that versus, you know, just handcuffing them and taking them away. It felt like they were trying to add another dimension to the film. I liked that, you know, trying to think specifically of a couple of things, but there were a couple of jokes, you know, I can remove kind of my critical comparable eye to the first one and just watch it. I was like, I could see where that'd be fun. I also think, and this is important, a redeemable quality about the new one is that I have a feeling that kids will like it. No, no <laughs> one will like it. No, I think kids will like nope. it. Nope, nope, no one's going to like it. 
So I would, I would, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear from some younger audience members on what their thoughts were, especially those who didn't grow up necessarily with the original as kind of this perennial classic that gets brought out every year. That's, those are the main takeaways that I have from the new one. I actually didn't hate the kid's performance. It looked like he was having fun. It's just, I don't think the writers gave him much in the way of new material. I think he was doing his best. So, I mean, what can you do? Those are the lines. I mean, you could not sign on to make the movie. You could like be a principled individual and be like, no, we're not going to part taking this. But there, yeah, I mean, there's other <laughs> things I just didn't care for. Like, I'm not, I'm not even a big fan of the name. What did you think about the buzz, the buzz thing? Because obviously in the trailer, that's a big portion of it. I think even the clip, like that was like the entirety of it. Screen grab on Disney plus is Buzz McAllister. So I felt like- And he's actually, it's not the actor in a cameo as a security guard. It's actually Buzz McAllister. There's an acknowledgement that he is the character that we know from the first two. And I liked it. I mean, I feel like that was just their effort to try to make a connection to the original works. I mean, I I think it worked fine. I don't think it's, you know, a cameo where everyone, the whole theater is going to gasp or something. Doubt it. Did this even go to theaters or did it just go straight to Disney Plus? Straight to Disney Plus. It was probably wise. Yeah, because no one would go see it because it was terrible. The irony is like Home Alone's run in the theatrical release was like insane. Yeah, it was all the way up till June. Yeah. November to June. It had like one of the great, because they don't, movies don't even stay in theaters that long anymore. They come and go. They make all their money up front and then bam, they're out. But I think it was like at that time, the two movies that just crushed it were Home Alone. And then I think like five years later, six years later, like Titanic, Mm -hmm. where they were just in theaters for so long. And and then the last movie I think that happened was Avatar, James Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) That's my thoughts. I mean, I'll I'll throw it over to you. Like, honestly, look into your heart. Do you have anything positive or redeeming about it? Or you're just saying straight up shouldn't have been made? Shouldn't have been made. Wasted your time. As I said, I chuckled one time in the movie. It's that part where the, the grandpa is reading to them. Uh, Peter oh, yeah. Man. And he's like, why are they drowning? And he's like, no, 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 they're flying. I thought that was, that, I chuckled for that. Um, <laughs> I thought Keenan Thompson was a good addition. I thought he had a terrible role and I thought he played yeah. it as best as he could. Again, I would have liked to have seen him in a, I mean, what if Keenan Thompson was this version of the South Bend Shovel Slayer? I would have loved that. You know, or, Interesting. or the John Candy character, right? Who's kind of there to add some heart to the story. Don't think he was, he was used in such a minimal role that again, focused on the lives of the burglars as opposed to our hero himself. I thought it was really kind of a missed opportunity. What I mean, was listen. the band? What was the band name? The Kenosha Kickers? The Kenosha Kickers. Gus <laughs> Polanski, the Kenosha Kickers. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. So I'm good. sorry. Can you, did you say you could help me? He's like, I- I'm rambling. <laughs> what a great uh, scene. I mean, obviously, I think we you know, both have made it clear. If we're picking, right, movie remake time, which one was better? Which one did it better? It's the original Home Alone. And this was one that I don't, like I said, I don't know that we were particularly looking forward to, unlike something like Dune or maybe even Ghostbusters, where we were excited, like, hey, let's go check out the new one. I think this one we were like, all right. I was expecting it to be abysmal and it ended up being somewhere akin to having a colonoscopy. So uh, my advice is don't watch it. I don't see anything redeemable. If I could get my two hours back, I would pay heavily to get them back. I would, my recommendation for the new one would be like, listen, if you have little kids that, you know, fit that kind of recommended age range, you want to watch a Christmas movie and you don't have one lined up, maybe put it on. 
But there's so many great ones out there, Home Alone and Home Alone 2 included. It almost seems like impossible in the days of streaming that you couldn't find something else probably a little better to put on. That would be my recommendation. Otherwise, for adults, fans of the original, I really feel like you'll just be not even disappointed because expectations were pretty low, but you're just not going to enjoy it. My advice to you is this. If you really don't like someone <laughs> and you would like to ruin their Christmas, get them hyped up by telling them that they're going to watch Home Alone, the original, and then put on Home Sweet Home Alone and watch them just melt away and the essence leave their body and ruin Christmas forever. If you want to do that, watch the movie. Then there you are. I think that kind of wraps up the episode. Like you said, I mean, if you just want to hear us quote Home Alone and all that, you can go back and check out Total Rewind. You know, I might do that, actually. <laughs> oh, so good. Dang, how long? That was over a year ago, huh? Yep. It was a while ago. Wow. I've been doing this podcast for a while. Yep. That's pretty impressive. Well, on so, that note, folks, we all hope that you have a great holidays with your families. Yes, Merry Christmas. Keep watching some great holiday movies that you love. And be sure to let us know online, you know, what what do you want us to talk about in the future? You know, the next time we do a bunch of holiday episodes, what are the classics that you'd like to see that we haven't talked about? This is a podcast. So if you have any kind of uh, topics or ideas or anything, like let's say you just want us to do a quick segment about something, uh, this is our show. We can do whatever we want. So <laughs> uh, we don't have to straight up follow the, the exact format all the time. Like we could do a little, we could switch it up, you know, have a little fun. So let us know if there's anything that you wanted to get our opinions on or thought, you know, might be an interesting discussion and uh, we'll consider it. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Like CP said, hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas and a happy holidays. And obviously we'll be back with another episode of the Filmmakers Compass podcast. CP? Take us out. On that note, we'll see you soon. Keep watching movies and until next time.